This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. To Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, St. Louis Blues. And we seem to have an intruder <laughs> on this episode of Blue Notes here. We have Grant from a Hungry for Hawks Talk here uh, joining us on Blue Notes for episode number 44 or as I like to call it, the Chris Pronger edition of Blue Notes. By the way, did you know that uh, Daryl Sador and Jason Arnott actually wore the number 44 after Pronger? Hard to believe. But they I only knew about w- Arnott, but not about uh, not about Sador. Yeah, Sador, according to Hockey Reference, Sador wore the 44. It's just weird imagining another blue in the 44 besides Chris Pronger, and it'll never happen again because he's joining the Plaguers and his former... Uh, line mate Al McGinnis up in the rafters soon, uh, finally. Uh, by the way, that voice you also just heard right now is the one, the only, I guess music ready, Wags. You know, when Jeremy Boyer composes intro music for uh, for your co-host, you have to let the whole thing ride out. Oh, you most definitely do. It, it still gives me chills. I mean, this is the second week we've had it, and I'm still like, dude, I've got my own my own intro. I, see, I can't believe that. See, I, Jeremy Boyer doesn't even introduce me. I mean, this. I mean, you you come on the show here. This is your third episode here on Blue Notes. And uh, you, you get special theme music from the blues organist. I mean, what is this? I, I need a better agent. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of slipping them about 100 bucks a week uh, as well, just to make sure that it gets. No, not really. I so, don't so, have 100 bucks. So, so that's 100 bucks. Wait, you're getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, now we're, we're rolling in that advertiser money uh, here at the uh, Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, uh, checks in the mail, Grant. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, Wags, we have to, uh, uh, before we get to Grant and the trade deadline and uh, this wacky Hawks game from Monday night, uh, we just got done listening to uh, our first look at Jay Bomeister uh, and the first time we've heard him after uh, his cardiac arrest in Anaheim. Uh, he held a press conference uh, at Enterprise Center uh, just kind of updating his condition, which he looked pretty good. He looked very positive, uh, fit as ever. Because, you know, Jay Bomeister is you know the fitness king on 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 the Blues, and he's been for some time. Um, no decision on his future yet. So, uh, what was your takeaway from the uh, uh, Jay Bo presser, uh, Wags? 
uh, to be perfectly honest, it didn't look like anything had even happened to him. Uh, he was, yeah. he looked exactly like you, you would think of Jay Bowmeister when you see him. He spoke the exact same way Jay Bowmeister. That's actually more, the most I've heard him talk probably in his entire career here in St. Louis combined. Yeah. Uh, but it was exactly what you would expect from him. You know, just very measured, very humble, uh, really talking more about just getting healthy and being happy that he's able to be with his family, the fact that his dad was on the trip and how everything kind of coalesced around that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was typical Jay Bomeister, um, but it still also didn't give us a whole lot of information either, which was really interesting. Well, and I, I know a lot of us were watching just to see if he would drop the R word, and that was retirement. Uh, you know, you, you compare him to uh, Yuri Fisher and Rich Peverly, and their careers were done after their episodes, you know, while playing hockey, their own cardiac issues. Uh, Bo Meester, again, the guy's fit. The guy is super fit. Um, but at the same time, you know, he didn't make any statements on his future one way or another, mostly because he says he hasn't really thought about it uh, too much. And that's understandable when, when your life literally flashes before your eyes uh, and you're just focused on your recovery. You're not really at least in my opinion and knowing Jabo the way I do not really in a position to make that ultimate decision on your career, just like that, you know, uh, it's something that he's going to think out. And of course he, he also talked about like some of the technology nowadays, you know, that, you know, maybe Fisher and Peverly didn't have. And, you know, I believe Jabo is going to explore every possible way that he can to get back on the ice. The guy, the guy is a gamer. He's an iron man. And I don't blame him for that. But at the same time, though, if he ever puts on a hockey jersey again, I am going to cringe badly every time he takes a hit. Oh, most definitely. And, you know, the one thing that was kind of, I guess, I wouldn't say glaring to me, but one of the things that he said that really makes me think retirement is going to be the option is he was asked, you know, what what do you still want to accomplish out on the ice? And he was kind of like, there's not really anything. Uh, you know, I've done what I've done. I've tried to be a good teammate. And that's really what it was, was I just wanted to be a good teammate. He even was like, what would happen if the Blues were to win the Cup and you were to lift it again? He goes, well, it would be great. That's the goal. But you know, Bromeister was never super excitable, but no. he still wasn't like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I can't wait to do it and maybe go back out there and three-peat. It, it just sounds like to me that it really is one of those things where he's seriously contemplating it. Um, it there's another part of it that as well. I mean, if he retires during the season, I don't know 100% how that affects the salary cap, but that might also be a part of that as well, where the Blues are like, look, you're not going to play this year, but if you officially retire, that might affect, you know, money and all those kinds of things. And now that we're past the trade deadline, yeah, it's really no good to have that money anyway, if that's the case. Uh, so that might be part of it as well, but he's only two weeks away from the episode. If you're going to make a decision, a life altering decision like that, two weeks after a major episode like that, uh, you're going to look back maybe and, and rethink that and, kind of be like oh I shouldn't have done that yeah he's a 35 plus player which which you know basically means that you know if you sign a player to a contract when he's 35 or older and he retires like during that contract uh there's implications on your salary cap uh there's also really weird implications too if you trade a player and then that person retires on that team then you get stuck with the paycheck basically which has the Nashville Predators shaking in their boots over Shea Weber. Uh, it also kind of came up with Roberto Luongo in, in his, you know, as he admitted, terrible deal. Um, but, yeah, Bo Meester, the, the other thing that struck me during the presser was that 
you know, you're right that Bo Meester's not the most excitable guy in the world, but he's very mature. He always struck me as a very mature player with a good head on his shoulders, and that kind of came through. You know, he was very measured in his responses. Um, you know, at, at times cracked a uh, you know quip here or there, but uh, you know, he always was just a very a very serious guy. And uh, I was glad that Jim Thomas had a chance to ask him, you know, about you know maybe coaching or. You know, or at least, you know, offering tips. I guess he's going to stay with the team for the rest of the season, but he's not going to play, you know, obviously. Um, he always struck me as a guy that would, would transition well into a coaching role. You know, he's played over 1,400 games, as I said, very mature, plays a very smart game of hockey in general. And that's another thing, too, that I think he hasn't really thought about yet. You know, because, again, he's played so long, and it, it would be like, it's like in any job you have, you know, whether whether you like it or not. I mean, you know, mature player, mature people like you and me, if we're not liking things at our workplace, we don't just, you know, you know, drop everything, point two middle fingers and say goodbye. We think about it for a while, you know, and it's just and it just this guy has, as we've talked about before, Wags, he's earned the right to go out on his own terms. And he is, I think, definitely going to be if he says he's going to stay in the game or if he says he's retiring you know it's going to come after some deep thought oh most definitely i mean i don't think he'll come right out and, and start coaching right away uh, i think just like many players especially when they retire younger they may take especially young kids too you know take a couple of years be with your family and then when the point comes yeah, then you start getting into coaching and, and kind of going from there. And and the, the nice thing about St. Louis is you can you can be a part of your family and your kids' lives and coach because of the the junior blues programs and things along those lines. You've seen that with McKinnis and with other guys. Kelly Chase. So that, Kelly Chase as well. So that you know, there's options for him there as well. Um, mm-hmm. And you just you look what he's done. It just in the the small time frame of right now with Colton Pareko, how he's helped kind of bring him along and really made him into the player that he is now. They don't have the same skill set. No. But they have the same mindset and they play off each other so well. And that's really a testament to Bo Meester and his maturity and his teaching ability that he can take a guy like that who's got a whole different skill set but bring him along to become a, an elite player. Well, speaking of players that complement each other very well with Pareko, uh, I want to talk about the trade deadline a little bit for the St. Louis Blues. The Blues stand pat on Tuesday. But I, before we talk about that, I just want to say if there is any possible way – the Blues can re-sign Marco Scandella this offseason. Pay that man his money. After you pay Petro, but pay that man his money because he and Pareko, they look like they've been together for years. Oh, yeah. It, it's been such a seamless transition. It's crazy. I mean, just the, the communication between the two of them, the positioning, uh, the outlet passes. I mean, it really looks like they've been playing together all year, and it's almost like they took Bo Meester's brain and transferred it to Scandella. Really? And it's just boom. Well, and not only that, but, uh, you know, they gave, you know, it's Jay Bowmeister's brain, but then a very, then the person is very vocal. You know, I mean, Scandella's a talker. He's a very uh, loquacious guy, fun after the game to talk to. Seems like a really good locker room guy, too. And that's important, you know, on a team like the Blues, where locker room harmony seems to be an A1 priority for them. You know, I mean, they've they've had some issues in, in recent years with 
you know, some locker room cancers, for lack of a better word. They've expunged them out. And now this is a very tight and veteran group. And he just he just fits like a glove. And I I mean, to me, Wags, he has exceeded every expectation I could have thought of when they got him. I mean, he just you know, when he when he when they got him, I mean, you're thinking, okay, he's a rental for the next couple of months. He's a solid veteran defenseman. He's okay, but he's not going to wow you. Um, Wow. I'm saying wow now. He's wowing me. I, I and I want him back. Yeah, same here. And you, you kind of look at it through the prism of what happened last year when they traded for Michael Delzato. You're thinking, okay, yeah, rental player may play here, may play there. Uh, but Delzato didn't really have as much experience in the Western Conference and Central Division as Scandella has. Obviously, he played seven years with Minnesota. So he's used to what this Blues team is all about. He's used to the Central Division, the heavy hockey. Uh, and he just he fit in. And the thing that really struck me the most was the first couple of interviews he gave in St. Louis. He had a smile on his face that you could not wipe off. And yeah. that, that's something, I mean, yeah, guys are happy. They're always that whole, oh, yeah, I'm happy to be here, blah, blah, blah. But this guy literally was exuding happiness and excitement. And, yeah, going from a last-place team to a, a cup contender will do that for you. But it literally felt so genuine, and he was just so giddy and excited. That's what got me going. And, and then to see him play the last three or four games, it just solidified it for me. So you mean to tell me that a player that escapes Buffalo and goes to the St. Louis uh, gets like a new surge of life in him? Is that is that what you're trying to tell me? Is this a trend? I think it is. I think it's yeah. when you go to Buffalo, your spirit leaves your body and just happens to make its way to St. Louis. You just your your physical body just has to find it, and then once you get there, it's it's boom, it connects again. Oh man! So I guess you're saying Patrick Berglund's still looking. I guess. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, he kind of went the other way. Uh, yeah, he yeah he definitely went the other way. He went over to uh, back back home to Sweden, um, but uh, you know the trade the trade deadline comes and goes. Uh, Blues stand pat. They don't make any major moves. Doesn't really sound like they were really in on anything either. Uh, I think Armstrong said that at this point, they uh, after the Scandella trade, wasn't looking for any more rental types. I mean, he would consider like a hockey move, if you will, getting a guy that they have some control over. Um, but yeah, they, it comes and goes. And I think this is the first year that I can remember as a blues fan where I am not hearing blues fans bitching that, Oh, Doug Armstrong sat on his hands. He didn't do anything this is every year. Never going to win the cup. Oh, we won the cup last year. Uh, and then <laughs> now it's like, and now all of a sudden it's like, you know, when, when that, the deadline just kind of came, it went and we all shrugged. This, this, that, is, this, is, this is new. Do you? I mean, I, I personally thought it was the right move to stand pat. It was because you look at it and part of it was you're not giving up a guy like Jordan Cairo. Um, you know, no matter what people were saying about how he fits in with Berube, you guys got to remember Berube was the coach in Chicago with the Wolves when all these young guys were coming up and he's the one who taught them. Yeah. So he's got a good rapport with them and it's just the way he goes about coaching. People thought him and Kyra were on the outs. That's not the case. And you're starting to see his, his, uh, his ability and his confidence starting to come out earlier and earlier in games. And you weren't going to get rid of him. Clint costume wasn't up for debates and, and other guys like that just weren't going to be available. The other part of it was you look what happened around the central division as well. No one really improved. Colorado probably needed a backup goaltender and they went out and got Michael Hutchinson. Woo. Ooh. Uh, well, Toronto fans could tell you that was not a good move, but, you know. <laughs> well, the, I mean, they lost to a Zamboni driving goaltender, so uh, ah, that's yeah. kind of that. And then, you know, Nashville didn't really do anything. Uh, Dallas 
didn't really do a whole lot as well. So, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of need for you to one-up a team in your central division. You're already at the top. You're playing well. You're going to get Tarasenko back here in the next couple weeks to a month. No reason to rock the boat. And like you talked about, locker room chemistry. You're not Mm -hmm. going to bring in a guy that could potentially disrupt that. They brought in Scandella. It worked. They weren't going to rock the boat. And, And we're starting to see that this team is really kind of getting back into the flow of things. And you're right, Tarasenko is coming back, which I guess some people could say is like acquiring a player at the oh, deadline. Oh, I hate that term. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I wanted to throw it out there because a lot of people hate that, and I'm actually, I'm actually one of them too, but you know, <laughs> I, I like to stir the pot now and then. So, yeah, you have you have Tarasenko coming back. You have Kairou starting to emerge as a threat on offense. Uh, Robert Thomas, I think, has taken a few steps forward. He's, you know, when he started the year, he was such a playmaker and he had to have such a playmaking mentality that he would sometimes pass up really good shots. He's starting to shoot the puck now. Uh, and then speaking of players that are emerging, you know, Zach Sanford, a guy that I thought, you know, might go the way of Robbie Fabry, you know, if he, if he kept up his kind of middling up and down play, he's suddenly the best blues goal scorer in the last two weeks. I mean, so you're pretty much looking at a situation where, you know, a couple weeks ago you have Kairou as a question mark, you had Sanford as a question mark, you have Tarasenko's availability as a question mark, and now all of a sudden all three are exclamation points for you. And so it, it's like, and even when Tarasenko comes back, I mean, think about it, who sits when Tarasenko comes back? I mean, at this point it might be Kairou. And that's, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's baffling. It might be. I mean, you've got to look at, you know, the fourth line's playing very, very well. I mean, you can essentially cycle like a guy like McEachern out and slide one of the guys down. You can slide Steen down to that fourth line like he did last year and then slot Sanford down and so on and so forth. But you also don't want to rock the boat as much as you as you want to. I mean, Tarasenko's going to take a little while to come back. It's not going to be instantaneous. No. It's going to take a couple of weeks for him to really get into form. That's why I'm, I'm glad that he's coming back before the playoffs. It gives him that time. And he's but practicing now. So He is practicing. So you know he'll be in at least you know shape. Game speed and game shape are wildly different as well, but it won't take him that long to get back there. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Barube juggles line. But he's been magic when it comes to putting guys in the right spot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does and what his mindset is when he does come back. And not only that, but Barube is not afraid to break up, you know, combinations that, you know, you think are just perfect on paper. I mean, he just broke up O'Reilly and Perron, and he had O'Reilly up with uh, Shen and Schwartz there for a while. Uh, against the Hawks, it was actually Perron that was up there, you know, with uh, Shannon Schwartz. So, you know, Barubi is a guy that's not afraid to shuffle around his lines and, you know, try to, you know, sometimes I think he's a, a coach that, you know, looks at chemistry and realizes that sometimes chemistry among players is finite. It can burn out and you have to find new chemistry elsewhere. You need to find a spark, if you will. Uh, and, and I'll give Barubi credit. He usually has a good sense for when to start juggling things around and when to start breaking things up. And also the blues have a really good analytics team, you know, that can kind of, uh, you know, tell them, you know, Hey, this player, you know, in his ice time is outperforming, you know, another player. I mean, they, they have a very deep analytics team. And I think that's one reason why Sanford has uh, not only stayed around so much, but now he's thriving is because, uh, someone has been, you know, or someone on the Blues team has been looking at what Stanford's done all year. And while we see a up and down middling player, they see a player that's maybe just waiting to break out, just needs the right combination. And uh, well, that guy ain't wrong, whoever he is. So uh, for sure. So 
Uh, by the way, uh, as, as I mentioned, uh, we have a third person that is kind of snooping in on us right now. This is Grant from the Hungry for Hawks Talk podcast. He's been he's been a kind gentleman, and he's been uh, quietly awaiting uh, his run in here on Blue Notes. And I think Wags, it's time to bring him on because we have some trade deadline stuff to talk about with him. And then we also have this wacky six to five game that we just experienced uh, Tuesday night, which I still don't know exactly what the hell happened there, but we're going to get some insight from our uh, friend uh, who follows the Chicago Blackhawks. It's Grant. It is our Blue Notes face-off of the week. What's going on, boys? Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on. And I'm happy you're here because we coming off of a big time blues win over the hawks how are you feeling today yeah yeah. i mean i I should have expected this uh preferential treatment i mean wags gets the uh gets the intro music when he's get when he gets introduced and got nothing from me oh no you're you're gonna get nhl 94 (laughs) uh music here it just i gotta edit it in later you know i promise i promise i I appreciate that thank you tom i'm all about the 8-bit music here on blue notes classy Oh, I mean, NHL, NHL 94. That's, that's what we all grew up on. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the classic game. Uh, you know, that, that goal by Kyra the other night against Dallas was prototypical NHL 94. <laughs> Go down the left-hand side, cut across, fire back across the goaltender. It was that's absolutely how, perfect. That's how you score in NHL 94. That's the move. Yeah, it's totally the move. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Grant, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll talk about the 6-5 win. We'll talk about the, the trade deadline. But first thing I want to talk about is kind of the, the renewal of the rivalry between the Blues mm-hmm. and the Blackhawks. I got started in it early in the 90s, St. Patrick's Day Massacre, the Norris semis where the Blues swept them, Belfort went absolutely nuts. You know, there was the lean years for both teams where the rivalry was still really good, but it really didn't hit back home until about, you know, mid-2010s. Uh, and then finally us beating them in the, in the first round in 2002. You know, what's kind of been your take? What did you grow up with with this rivalry? And, and how do you see it and view it in today's NHL? I mean, I honestly, that's, that's a little early for me. Um, I really only started getting into the Hawks around um, just the past decade or so. And uh, so I'm originally from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And uh, so right now I live in Edmonton. And so Calgary's always been my first team. Hawks have always been my second, uh, just in the past decade since I really got into hockey. Uh, so I, I wasn't there for, you know, the, the rivalries in the nineties and, um, the early thousands, but, uh, I've just kind of been around for, you know, our kind of decade of, um, I'm, I'm going to say domination three cups in, in a decade. I mean, no other team can, can, can say that, uh, <laughs> some teams are close, but, uh, you know, no other team can say that as of yet. So. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, uh, I mean, we've, uh, Tom and I have talked about this in uh, our previous conversations. It, it, we're paying for that now, right? That decade of domination. Uh, we've got these bloated, heavy contracts that are basically immovable. Seabrook, excuse me. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find that the biggest thing in today's NHL is is the parity amongst all the teams. I mean, any team can beat any other team on any given night. Nothing is really 
a given anymore. Unless you're Detroit and then you just get beat every night. <laughs> I mean, even Detroit, they've they've had some surprising wins. Um, they're surprisingly good against Western Conference teams. I think they have like a 60%. Uh, I think I saw that they have a 60% win rate against uh, Western Conference teams, uh, which is pretty surprising in my, I mean, <laughs> why? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think the parity is is the biggest thing in today's NHL. And I mean, man, your St. Louis Blues are looking every bit the champion uh, that that you are. I mean, it's it's tough for me to say that, but that it is what it is. Uh, it's, it was definitely tough tough for us to go through and talk about the three time Cup champion Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> so you know what? Man, we've got we, one. We've we, only got one, so we, we can't go too crazy. We got through it, Wags. We, we we're, we're going to be okay, and we, we all, and we can also probably take some solace in knowing that the Hawks probably won't win another cup for a while. So you know, it's so it's okay, Wags. It's okay. At least three it's okay. years. At least three years. Give us three years. That's about right. But then again, I mean, you know, we 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 saw Tuesday night. The Blackhawks can still be a dangerous team when they want to be. I mean, it's it's. I mean, what did you make of last night's game? A six to five lead changes. I mean, it. Just, I mean, for for a neutral hockey fan, it must have had everything. But for us, I mean, I'm not sure if I have any fingernails left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly I missed the first two periods, and uh, but of course, as soon as I tuned in, the boys give up two goals in 16 seconds right. To tie the game and then to, to give the lead away. Uh, I mean, it was a good timeout by Colton. We tied up once again and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that there's no quitting the boys, you know, not giving up rolling over, especially against such a rival again, uh, like the St. Louis blues. Um, and I think that's the, that's the biggest thing is that these guys can still show up for these big heated games, but their biggest thing this year um, has been their lack of consistency. Uh, they're terrible defensively. We got rid of the best goaltender um, that we'll have for a while. And I mean, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that uh, Bowman gets him back in, the, in free agency. Uh, that's what I'm hoping the, the method to the madness was. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it was a barn burner. I mean, it was, it was an entertaining game. Uh, lots of back and forth chances. We saw Duncan Keith finally get his uh, 100th goal of his career. He was sitting on is, it for a while. Yeah, I mean, crazy. It's I, I can't believe that the guy hasn't gotten 100 goals yet. Like that. That was just. He's yeah, like you said, he has been sitting on it for a while. Um, but I guess with the loss of Gustafson too, uh, which I'm, I, I guess we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, the loss of Gustafson has, I guess, opened up Keith's offensive prowess. Uh, he had a three-point night last night as well. Um, so that was good to see. But, I mean, you know, it's just a, a lot of the same things that kept happening over and over again. Um, we had a lead. We played a stretch where before the All-Star break where we were doing really well, um, keeping the lead and, and playing with it, managing the, the momentum swings. Uh, but since then, we've gotten back to taking the lead and then just blowing it. Um, our power play has, again, been atrocious. Uh, we ended up getting one power play goal. But, I mean, it, it's just, you know, another power play, another glorious scoring chance for the opposing team. You know, we just, we, we get a 
a, a face-off loss or even if we win the face-off, we just kind of throw it up into the neutral zone, uh, give the puck away, and then all of a sudden it's it's like a 2-1-1 when you have the extra man um, on the power play. So it, it's it's just the same type of shit, you know? Um, the same type of shit that's, that's, that's happening, uh, just lack of consistency, uh, lack of defensive prowess. I mean, you, you can see it too. Patrick Kane, one of the goals, uh, Jaden Schwartz strips him of the puck. There was no, uh, effort on the back check to come back. And, you know, you, you, you saw it, he passes it up to Ryan O'Reilly. He goes in for a, um, for a, a mini break and, and scores the i think it was the game tying goal yeah yeah that goal. was a tying goal yeah and With- you just see you just fucking you just see kane just drifting into the zone like oh fuck well too bad i guess like i i know that he's looked on for offense but fuck man if you're giving the puck away like that you got to get your ass back there on that back check i mean who does he think he is phil kessel <laughs> <laughs> well phil kessel's you know, defense. He's weighed down by all those hamburgers. So and hot dogs. Hot dogs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, but you know, Tarasenko was a guy that that was like that as well early in his career, where he was really all about the offense, offense, offense. Over the last two, three years, you've really seen an increase in in his ability to back check and be more of a two way defensive forward. Now, for us, you see a guy like Ryan O'Reilly come in and kind of, you know, that's kind of flows off of him. Jaden Schwartz is the same way. Is there just not anybody in Chicago outside of maybe like a Jonathan Taze who really kind of exudes that two-way mentality? And then because it's not a part of the the mainframe of the team, they just don't do it. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's that's pretty bang on. I mean, we have a couple guys who can do that. They just don't do it on a consistent basis. Um, Dylan Strom has has long been criticized for his skating and defensive ability. He's gotten better. But, you know, they, since Kirby Doc has stepped into the lineup, we've kind of taken him off the center position. Uh, we put him on the wing so that he can play with the Brinkett and Doc on that same line. And, I mean, Doc has been a revelation this year. He's been one of our best players, um, just not points-wise, but consistent-wise, consistency-wise. Uh, he steps in the lineup. He's so confident, and uh, he never gives up on loose pucks. He's got great vision. And uh, it's 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 just a really good uh, way for this uh, a good start to this rookie's career, but he's he's only 18, he's only 19, right? So you can't really rely on that guy on a kid to play defensively like that. Um, but we have a couple guys, you know, Ryan Carpenter's been really good, but he's Ryan Carpenter. He's not going to get you 30 points, right? You're you're lucky to get 30 points out of Ryan Carpenter. Um, I love the guy. He's a beauty. One million contract. Great contract um, that uh, that Bowman signed him to. Uh, he does so much for the team defensively and like on the penalty kill and everything. Um, but, uh, you know, our penalty kill has really been the way it is because of Ryan Carpenter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Brandon Sod's a pretty good defen- a two-way guy. But, again, he doesn't really get back on the back check as much. I don't see him in the defensive zone as much as I should. Um, and that's, that's the biggest thing is just no consistency in, uh, in coming back. And, and that leads to your goaltender kind of being left hung out to dry. Yep. And we talked about the trade deadline and Robin Lehner going to Vegas, uh, in exchange for Malcolm Subban and a couple other pieces. You talked about him being your best goaltender, which we've seen that throughout the season. And we saw it last year with the Islanders. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, Corey Crawford, just from me watching the highlights last night, I remember when he was out there standing on his head, especially against the Blues, and last night he just looked absolutely terrible. And that was shocking to me because four of those six goals were goals that I would think, okay, he's stopping that, no question. And why? what was the mindset outside of trying to get just some assets and hoping that Laner comes back next year? Was there a mindset for that trade at all? Did they even have to make that trade? I don't think they needed to make it. I mean – um, I like the pieces coming back. It, it wasn't enough, I don't think. But I like the, the pieces that were coming back. Slava, Slava Demon is a defensive prospect who plays with Ian Mitchell at, uh, in Denver. And uh, so I, apparently, they, whenever they go down to watch Ian, they uh, catch a glimpse of Slava and, and they like his game. So I think that was probably the biggest um, reason why they decided to do that. But... I don't think it was enough of a return for a guy like Robin Lehner. Um, big, big trade for Vegas to, to snatch Robin Lehner, by the way, on that. I mean, you look at the way Vegas is structured and really they addressed their biggest need and their biggest weakness is that, you know, their backup goaltender, Malcolm Subban is a serviceable guy, but he's not going to win you a playoff round. Robin Lehner is going to win you a playoff round. Well, so, not, and, and not only that, but I mean, like Flurry this year looked really old. You know, I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's getting up there, and he he needed help. And you know, at one time it looked like Subban could have been something, and he still could be. But I mean, he just was not cutting it for Vegas this year. But you know, we we talked in the past, Grant. You know, you're you're a big Robin Laner fan. You liked his fit in Chicago. Uh, he appeared to be fitting in with his teammates very well. Of course, we all know Robin Laner's story. You know, uh, with his mental health issues in the past. And finding a good spot for him, you know, being very important to him. It looked like he had it, but, you know, now he goes off to Vegas here. He'll be a free agent. I don't think Vegas brings him back just because they're in cap hell right now. (laughs) So he's going to be free for everyone, including Chicago. I mean, what are the odds, you think, or what are the chances that Laner does come back? I mean, I'm hoping that it's, uh, I'm hoping that it's 100%, but I mean, (laughs) nobody knows but Robin, right? Right. He's going to probably decide and uh, look at what he, he's going to look at fit. He's going to look at term. He's going to look at AAV. I mean, all of those things are huge factors. Um, If I were Bowman, actually, if I were the owner of the Blackhawks, if Bowman doesn't get Laner back, I'm, I'm thinking that's the last move that he'll never make. Does that make sense? (laughs) Um, this offseason is, is going to be, I mean, it, it sounds like their job is safe, Laner, or, um, Bowman and Colleton. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think that their job should be safe. I think that this offseason is going to be or should be Bowman's defining, um, I guess, moment of whether he's going to be fired or not because a lot of these deals that he's made have – been underwhelming or just downright disastrous and if he does not get i mean if all he does in the offseason is re-sign a 36 year old goaltender franchise goaltender but a goaltender who doesn't have it anymore wags mentioned it the other um just a few minutes ago a lot of those goals could have been saved the old Corey crawford would have saved those goals but to be fair the man gave everything to to the blackhawks 
Um, you know, he's, he's gone through and fought through a lot of injuries and, uh, but it's, I mean, it's just time. Like you, you, you can see it. Like he hasn't been able, he hasn't been at his peak the last two, maybe three years. So if you're still trusting him to be your starting goaltender next year at the age of 36, there is something wrong. I mean, he's, he's after the trade deadline, his whole thing is like, Oh, well, you know, maybe we'll get there next year. Maybe we, we don't, we don't know what this team is going to be like year to year, Bitch, you should know what this team is going to be like year to year. You're the manager. Aren't you supposed to have like a three, five year plan, something yeah. like that, and knowing who your prospects are and what your future looks like, especially with the, t- the terms of contracts that you have. Exactly. Like, what does that even mean? Like there's just nothing that he says is inspiring any confidence. Even the players are saying, that they're not really sure what's going on, right? Because Kane even said like, oh yeah, I'd like to be included in the decision-making process. And Bowman was like, oh, well, you know, they're players and uh, they got to do their job and, you know, we respect them enough to give them a say, but, you know, we're not going to let them manage the team or whatever. But I mean, if your players are wanting to manage a team, that's telling you something. You know, there's no confidence in in the decisions that you're making. So I... I, I really think that he needs to he needs to bring Robin Lehner back this summer. It's it's imperative. And, I mean, and it, it's it's just going to grow louder. And if he doesn't bring back Robin Lehner, I mean, you look at teams like Detroit who finally accepted that they need to blow everything up and do everything from scratch again. You look at a team like Minnesota who appears to finally be accepting the fact that striving for mediocrity every year is not a great idea. They're finally starting to blow things up there. If Laner doesn't come back, do you think it's time for the Blackhawks to do the same thing and blow everything up and you know rebuild like Detroit's doing? I mean, as much as that would hurt, that's kind of what I'd like to see. But it's also a very, very tall task. Like yeah. we have a lot of guys that again have immovable contracts. I mean, Duncan Keith would be valuable to to a lot of teams he's still he's i mean he's 36 he'll be 37 and over the summer um but he's still serviceable he's still able to play um he's got a i i think he's got the the rest of his years uh on his contract left that that he can still continue to play um so and he's only making 5.5 that is a big contract for such an old guy but it's not impossible for, I mean, a, a team like Colorado would love to have that guy on them, uh, on there, right? Because he's, he's, he's a veteran guy. He's got a lot of playoff experience, a lot of games. Uh, he can teach their young defensemen a lot. Kale McCarr, Byron Bowen, um, Bowen Byram, uh, Ryan Graves, those kind of guys, right? Uh, so there's value in Duncan Keith. Who's going to pay 10.5 for Jonathan Taves? what are you going to get for Patrick Kane? I mean, you'll get a King's ransom, but you better not strike out. You better hit home runs on, on the return for Patrick Kane. But you know, the the thing is it, it gets to the point where how do you ensure that you continue to get fans into the seats, right? We've had, we have the longest record of home sellouts in the league right now if are you willing to let that all go 
and do a complete rebuild? Oh, you're talking about how this team has to create excitement and keep people coming to the stadium, even if they do go the route of blowing it up. You've got a lot of youth on that team. You talk about Debrinkit, you talk about Doc, and you talk about a guy like a Dominic Kubelik, who has really kind of burst onto the scene for Chicago. You know, the Blues have you know, Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, so we kind of know a little bit about 18-, 19-year-old high-level prospects and things like that. For those that don't know about the Hawks, you've heard of Debrinkit, you've heard of Doc, but talk a little bit about this Kubelik kid who's leading all rookies in, in goal score with 26 this year. Oh, my God. What can't you say about him? I mean, this kid has been so good this year. I mean, once he got paired with Jonathan Taves on that top line, he's just stuck there. And he, he really is, he's, he's our puck hound. You know, he goes after pucks uh, in the corners and uh, he never gives up on a play. He's the guy who does consistently come back and uh, on the back check and is always on the four check. So he's, he's got a very good 200 foot game. He's very, very good at, um, at a net front, net front presence. So he's, his offensive awareness is through the roof. Uh, he knows where to go um, to just kind of disappear and 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 get open in front of the net. A lot of his goals have been uh, as a result of you know just kind of lurking around the front of the net and um, burying the rebounds. But he's also very good at creating space for himself and going down low to 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 get pucks uh, along the boards, initiating the cycle, and then just kind of backing off into the play to find that sweet spot and uh, be open for a one-timer. Like the, the ability for him, for this kid to score goals is, uh, is amazing. And um, the only downside is that we're going to have to pay him this summer because uh, <laughs> he's going to be a restricted free agent. He's got our, he's arbitration eligible. He's going to get 30 goals in his first year. And uh, you know, it's, it's the price tag is just going to keep going up. So stop me if you've heard this before, Wags, but the Blackhawks have a talented young forward. They also have some expensive contracts that they would love to be rid of. So Grant, I ask you, uh, which team is going to get Kubalik and Seabrook? Because <laughs> <laughs> we saw it with Tara Vinen and we saw it with, with Hina Stroza. Do you think the Blackhawks keep Kubalik long-term or... I mean, do you th- I, what what what's his future in Chicago? Basically, I mean, I would I would hope that we keep him. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we do, uh, but you know, again, based on Bowman's track record, Panarin, especially, Panarin. I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's probably going to sign him to a six million dollar deal and then just trade him, right? Yeah. It's I don't know. It's it's I. Uh, it would be a mistake if if we got rid of Kubalik because he's he's going to be a core piece to build around. I think, um, he doesn't just play with, with Taves. He plays up and down the lineup. Um, he's one of those guys who is pretty fluid in, in where he plays. Uh, he can play both wings very well. And you've got, you have the effort from the kid. He wants to be there and he wants to play. So, I mean, I think that it would be a it would be a mistake if if we didn't retain him. Um, now there's there's talk that uh, we might be that Dylan Strom might be the odd man out uh, now that Kirby Doc is is stepping into the lineup, um, taking over that second line center role. Um, 
but I mean, if we'll see if, if he's willing to, to take lesser, a bridge type deal for lesser, lesser AAV, give him a shot. I'd, I'd like to see him, um, stick with the team just especially because of his chemistry with, with Alex to Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it was <laughs> the one smart move that, that Bowman did make, um, was giving that bridge contract to the Brinkett and holding off on Strom until the end of the year. Uh, it's kind of paid off pretty big for us, uh, especially with the, I mean, I guess he does look ahead, um, at, at our, at our cap situation. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, we're, we're, we've got cap space now, but that's only because we have so many guys on long-term IR. Um, we'll see how, how everything goes. I mean, we did lose two of our top four defensemen, um, midway through the season, basically. And, uh, Calvin DeHaan was playing real well before he went down with his second shoulder injury. Uh, Seabrook was... I mean, he was Seabrook, but he was a body there. What, was um, he injured as a hockey player, or did someone take him out? That's the real question. Which Chicago Blackhawk was like, hey, you know, we got to get this contract <laughs> off the books. Who, who got the bonus for taking out Seabrook? I mean, <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, the guy's a warrior. Seabrook is a, is, is a total warrior. Um, I know he's not living up to his contract, but talk about a guy who's earned his money. This man has earned his money i mean this guy is he plays through a lot i mean you look at the you look at the rap sheet that he went through um in the hospital both hips both shoulders wrists like everything i mean this is just like i'm hoping we get like a robotic seabrook back and you know he plays harder faster stronger but we'll see i mean we're gonna have to see how he looks after training camp um he's expected to be ready by then and uh you know, Seabrook's got he's got the drive and he's got the fire to to come back from from a from injuries like that. He's if anyone can do it, Brent Seabrook can do it. Um and arguably you could you could lay the blame of his um poor defensive abilities the last couple of years on those injuries. I mean, if you got bad hips, you're not moving. Right. And that was the biggest thing is that he seemed to have lost a step or two. And, you know, if you got bad hips, that's what happens. That's going to be the first thing that goes. Well, I mean, Shakira, um, Shakira's hips don't lie, but Seabrook's probably are telling a false tale or two uh, last, <laughs> last couple of years. I, I guess final thing I want, we wanted to ask you here, uh, Grant, is, of course, you know, it looks like that Chicago's out of the running, you know, for the for the rest of the way here. Probably one of the only central teams that can say that, although I think Nashville's kind of teetering on that territory as we speak. How do you see the central shaking out right now? Because you you, you really do have kind of a three-horse race at the top with, you know, the Blues, the Avalanche, and the Stars. I mean, you can really, in my opinion, you know, throw those three in a hat, pick one out, and, hey, there's your central division winner. Um, but, I mean, like, how, how do you see it shaking out, basically, the rest of the way? Um, I mean, I, I don't see St. Louis bucking out of the top spot. Um, Dallas has been a surprise. I was not expecting them to be able to come all the way back after playing so terribly at the beginning of the season. Uh, yeah. Colorado is a great team. I mean, I'm expecting to be Blues, Abs, Dallas. 
Um, and I think Winnipeg's going to squeak in there in the okay. wild card spot. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think Nashville's good enough to to maintain that second wild card spot. I thought they. I, I thought. I thought they were. I thought Nashville would have been. You know, I thought the four teams going in for the Central would have been, you know, Blues, Stars, Avs in that order, and then Nashville gets in as the number four, but with the closing window because they're kind of getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Winnipeg was going to be due for a step back this year. I thought Minnesota was going to suck. They haven't completely sucked, but they're not great either. Yeah. Uh, and then, then Chicago, I thought there was some hope for Chicago this year, but that hasn't materialized. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, 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 you know, the fact that Winnipeg is kind of defying, you know, data a little bit. I mean, I talked to, you know, Brendan Farrell of the Gritford 60 podcast and, you know, they were, I talked to him when they were on a really good run and he couldn't believe it because, you know, it came at a time when they were, they had like two healthy defensemen on their roster yeah. and, you know, that just, and, and how you buck, you know, of course, I mean, he can do a lot in net, but I mean, you know, he still needs help. Um, mm-hmm. But it just, it just, it surprises me as much that Winnipeg is, you know, in the races and Nashville's not. I mean, I thought Nashville was going to take a step back from last season. I just didn't think that they would collapse like this. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. I was I I would have expected, I mean, to be honest with you, at the beginning of the year, I thought it would be Blues, Dallas or Blues, Abs, Nashville. Yeah. I can um, see that. And then Winnipeg in the fourth spot. Mm-hmm. Um Chicago hopefully challenging for that wild card spot. I I knew that we wouldn't be in the top three. Um, I was hoping that we'd be a dark horse for for the wild card spot. I mean, you got you look at our core. Um, anything can happen in the playoffs with those guys, even though we haven't won a playoff round since our last cup. But regardless, um, yeah, I, I really don't didn't expect Nashville to to be so terrible. They've done well coming back. Um, and I mean, they, they could do it. I mean, they have three games in hand on, uh, on the Winnipeg jets. They're only up 62 games played. Um, and Winnipeg's at 65. So yeah, I mean, when I, I actually, when I talked to Brendan Farrell too, uh, a couple months ago, even like a couple months ago, even <laughs> back in um, the day. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't, uh, optimistic about the team. Like he didn't think that, they were going to make the playoffs. He didn't, I don't know if he wanted them to make the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, it, it was weird. He was just, he was just, he was just kind of like defeatist, even though yeah. they were playing well, it was kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. But he's a stats guy, I guess. So he was just purely looking at the numbers. He had, I think at the time they only had um, Morrissey and Pionk as regular NHL defensemen. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was doubt. I think we talked to him about the same time. It was, it was yeah. a really weird period for them. Yeah. Yeah, the whole Dustin Bufflin snafu has has really screwed him over. I mean, it it really is the definition of a snafu. I mean, yeah, everybody thought that oh, you know, Bufflin's going to be healthy coming in, and he passed his physicals, and going to have another probably pretty dominant year, and just nothing. Like he just completely went off, and um, I just I still don't understand that decision. You know, Wags, if if Petro walks. And I, I gotta hope he doesn't walk. But if he does, I I wouldn't mind if the Blues decide to bring in Bufflin, you know, on a short term deal as his replacement. What do you think about that, Wags? 
I think that actually would probably be a, a good thing because that gives you a physical presence. It gives you a guy that, that is offensive-minded as well. Um, it definitely will hurt you defensively because uh, no one can really replace what Petro does on the defensive side of things. Uh, but having a guy that played in the Central that knows things about playing in Chicago, playing in Winnipeg, bringing him in, maybe not being a top guy, that would elevate Pareko up into that top spot. But having him be in that second or third pairing you know, that would scare a lot of teams if he's coming in healthy and, and ready to go after a year off. And and most importantly, he would cost a lot less than Petro, probably. And that means you have money to sign my boy, Marcos Scandella. <laughs> so it's, it's, you're, oh, basically, you're, you're, you're basically trading Bufflin and Scandella for Petro, which is actually not a not a great move, come to think no, of it. But, no, uh, no, you don't trade. want that. That's a terrible <laughs> trade. But you know what? Honestly, though, I I don't know. I think I was really hoping that he'd be able to come back um, this year as a free agent and sign a deal with the Hawks, honestly, because, you know, the reunion has got a lot of good memories here. We've got a lot of good memories of Big Buff. Um, yeah. I would have loved to see his uh, winger D come back. His big <laughs> body D, that's uh, that's going to be a quote right there. Winger yeah. D. Winger D. Yeah. I really want that back, man. He should be back, but uh, I'd love to see him in a Hawks uniform again. Um, we'll see what happens over the summer. I mean, I really don't know. Yeah, how you guys are talking about wanting to bring Petro back? I don't see it in the numbers. How are you going to be? How are you going to be able to do it? Um, good question about that. There's yeah, you Doug Armstrong. Apparently, you're Doug Armstrong. You're Doug Armstrong, and you have free reign right now to. For next year to move shit around. Ooh, ooh, you, you Who do you move me. out? Who do you move in? Well, I, I I hate to say it because he's actually played very well for the Blues this year, and he's probably my biggest surprise for the Blues this year. But let's face it, Jake Allen's trade value is not going to be any higher than it is now. Uh, he makes four point three mil. Now, of course, it leaves you with the question of who backs up Bennington. But if they're looking to free up money, he doesn't have a no trade. He's free to go anywhere. Uh, I could see a team taking a, taking him for this final year and, you know, maybe in a tandem. Maybe he'd be a guy that, uh, like, Vegas would take, you know, if they're looking for a tandem mate with, with Flurry, for instance. Although, again, Vegas doesn't have any money, so what am I talking about? Um, but, you know, he'd be the obvious choice. Uh, Alex Steen, he's, he's, he's going into his final year. He makes over five mil per he still provides a valuable service to this team, and, and players look up to him as a veteran leader. Uh, so he, I mean, he's not you know a total money waste there, uh, but he might be a buyout candidate. Um, but I, I don't even want to speculate on that. But apparently, but one thing to consider as well is you know Jay Bo Meester's contracts off the books after this offseason. That's three and a half million dollars right there. Uh, Petro already makes I think what five six wags. He is uh, six and six a half five. right now. Six and a half. So you, you you take the six and a half and you add Jabo's three and a half. There's there's ten mil right there, and then the cap goes up. You know it'll probably I don't know how much it'll go up, but it'll go up nonetheless. So there's your Petro money, and and really Petro, I think he he's definitely the biggest name the Blues have this offseason to resign. Otherwise, their key pieces are locked in. Yeah, I mean you look at it's, it's Jacob De La Rose, Sammy Blay. Mackenzie McEachern are all restricted free agents, arbitration eligible. Troy Brower is an unrestricted, which obviously that's not going to go anywhere. He's gone. He's gone. Uh, Vince Dunn's a restricted free agent. 
Uh, so that's a guy that's going to get a bit of a raise. That could be um, tricky because he's been kind of tricky. up and down. Um, I mean, Blake could get a little bit, but he's been kind of down lately as well. I mean, injury I, I, history too. Yeah, a little bit of injury history. McEachern's not going to get a big raise. Uh, Della Rose, take him or, or leave not. him. Yeah, take, you can take, take him or take leave him. Take him or leave him. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That that's that's. I mean, for for at least the next year, I think they could fit Petro in. But then once he gets like years two and three, it, that's when he gets a little tricky. See, and that's where I think you 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 have to take into effect the the Seattle draft. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's the reason that they went out and got Falk and signed him long term. You you got to think that if he doesn't work out next year, you really should seriously consider doing what teams did with Vegas. And just talking to Seattle and saying, look, we're going to leave him unprotected. What do we need to trade for you to take him? I mean, Ooh. Seattle's going to be looking for a cornerstone defenseman. Yes, he's going to be making $9 million a year. It's going to be hard for a, a, an expansion team to take that on. But if you're able to sweeten that pot with something, there you go. There you got money now. You've already got most of your guys locked up long-term anyway. That might be the play and in the, in the direction this team needs to go if they're able to re-sign Petrangelo. Well, and you also have the issue of, you know, Vince Dunn and Jordan Cairo at this point would be exposed to Seattle. So you yep. you want to you protect those guys. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Doug Armstrong has already, you know, had an inf- informal talk with Ron Francis, the GM of the Seattle team, and said, hey, uh, you know, we're going to have a problem here. Uh, we have this guy named Justin Falk. You know, you've heard of him. He's a, he's still a solid top four defenseman. Um, you know, if, if we give you something nice, you know, like a, you know, a, like a decent pick or a decent prospect, uh, could you please take Justin Falk in the draft? Please. We beg you. I love you. Uh, we, we, we will send you all the toasted ravioli <laughs> in the world, uh, but just take him please. And, and it's not, and it's not a knock on Justin Falk as a player. I mean, he's no, had, he's had his up and ups and downs, but it's just logically speaking, when you look at the team situation, I mean, He's got to be the one. He really has to be the one. Otherwise, I don't want to see Justin Cairo in a Seattle Kraken uniform. Well, and you also have to think, you know, Col- Colton Pareko will be due for a raise in, in two years as well. Yeah. And he's your future. And Bennington as well. And depending on how, you know, what happens if Robert Thomas, he's a restricted free agent in 21, 22. If the way he is going right now, he's going to be due for a massive raise. And that's a guy that you're going to want to keep in this blues uniform, especially, you know, if you're getting a, a Jersey with his name on it, you definitely want him sticking around. Hey Wags, we, we probably shouldn't make too much fun of the Hawks for their cap situation because the blues might be in it themselves in a couple of years. So yes. just, just make, make a note of that. Yeah. It's being written down right now in stone. Got it. But, but you know what, if, if the, if the blues win the next two or three Stanley cups, then it's still worth it. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh. Yeah, well, we'll what, see. What, who do you think is going to win this year? Tampa? Boston? Washington? Who's going to be good, man? No yeah. Eastern Conference team? Come on. Come on. No Eastern Conference team. I mean, uh, the Boston Bruins got pushed you guys to Game 7 last year. Yeah, and then they ran and... into the, the demon that is Jordan Bennington in Game 7, too. Yeah. So. Uh, we would love to beat Boston again in the finals. It'd be great. I mean, they 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 showed their ass during the Stanley Cup final, and you know Brad Marchand's a little bitch. So you know, I would I would love to, I love I would love to see see him crying again. In fact, I'm drinking a nice tall glass of Marchand's tears right now. How much did you pay for those? Oh man, oh man, they were they were free. I mean, I mean, he was he was giving them away after the uh, after Game Seven. That's true. Was that was that in St. Louis that year, or was it in Boston? Boston. Oh, that that Boston, was, game Boston. seven was in Boston, mm. which which made it better. Yeah, 
I would have loved to have seen them lift a cup at home, but you know, God, I don't like Boston. Well, when you yeah. when you can end Boston's entire sports winning run, you know, Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins, when you can end that run, nothing sweeter than doing it on their home turf. And yeah, that was lo- that was pretty nice. And not only that, but exercising the demon of Bobby Orr, you know, because you know the whole Bobby Orr flying in the air thing. That was against the Blues in the 1970 Stanley Cup Finals, and uh, we get reminded of that every now and then, and I'm glad it's no longer going to haunt us because we now have the bragging rights. Agreed, 100%. Go Carl Gunnarsson. Yeah, boom, boom, <laughs> Gunnarsson. And uh, Noah Chari still hasn't gotten up off the ice. Ooh. <laughs> I think they, they, they knocked him into Carolina, didn't they? Isn't that where he's uh, playing I think now? He went, I thought he went to Florida. Or Florida. Wow, that hit took yeah, him all the way down south. Yeah, yeah. He, Ooh, yeah wow. he, he, he went way down. I mean, he went way south where there, you know, where there isn't much ice. So, all righty, Grant. Well, on that note, it's been real. Always uh, a pleasure. Thank you for being a rational Hawks fan because, uh, you know, we find it sometimes difficult to – Talk to Hogs fans uh, for rationality reasons. So <laughs> we appreciate we appreciate your candor as always. First of Hawks course. fan, I don't want to punch in the face. That's that's impressive right there. That is very impressive. I I'll mean, take it. I mean, you, you should see Wags when he gets angry. I mean, I mean, he he turns into Tony Twist, man, and he just you know he just he just goes at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you gotta be you gotta be realistic. If any Hawks fans are listening to this, I mean, why are you listening to this? <laughs> you Send could be help. listening to Hunger for Hawks talk. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if any if any Hawks fans are listening, y- you got to be realistic. I mean, this management team and this core has won three Stanley Cups in the last decade. What more can you expect? I mean, you get fans who are like, oh, Bowman has done nothing and blah, 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 just crying about it. I mean, what more do you want? What more can you expect? I mean, this guy got you three cups in the last 10 years. No other team can say that. Would you really honestly give it up for another shot at the playoffs this year? Would you give up three Stanley Cups for another shot at the playoffs this year? You know, a shot at this the playoffs A shot at the playoffs is never guaranteed, but banners always hang at the rafters. Exactly. So. You know that's cost of doing business. That's that. That's why us Blues fans, as I said, in the next in the next few years, when some of these contracts get a little uh, too heavy for comfort, you know, we can always look up in the sky and see that Stanley Cup championship banner and the lone Stanley just Cup nod and understand. Banner. Oh, there'll be a couple more up there when we have the lone. Oh yeah. the lone. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it'll it's, be, it's, it's lonely. It'll be alone. Be- no, just no, lonely no. and drifting and no, no St. Louis is, is in the wind. St. Louis is a friendly, inclusive community. You know, we're gonna find that banner some friends. It's <laughs> it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fine. And at the very least, we'll just look to our right and see the thirteen World Series championship banners too, uh, hanging over a bush. So you know, you know, there's some of those too. And for the next I mean, hour guess. on Blue Notes, <laughs> <laughs> Cup Stock. All righty, Grant. Thanks for being a good sport. Um, and Wax, thank you for being. Uh, a part of uh, WAGS Thursdays here on Blue Notes. My pleasure. All right, and that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank you, the listener, because without you, there is no me, there is no WAGS, there is no Blue Notes, and there is no Tom Franklin. And I'm reminding you, along with WAGS, to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. Five stars, baby.
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.